you have a test this morning, an examination. Not, not by me and not from me. From yourself, of yourself. You're the greater. You've already got the answer key. It's just a matter of whether you're willing to take it, to judge accurately. But be warned, only those who pass the test will be qualified for heaven. If you have your Bible with you, would you take it out please and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and we will read verses 4 through 6 to begin our lesson this morning. And we're going to look at a couple of passages out of Paul's letters to the church, to the church in Corinth. And we're going to try and answer the question, what does it mean to examine yourself? Uh, we're glad that you're here, especially those who are visiting. We're so grateful for your presence. And we ask you to just stick around for a few minutes, if you don't mind, so that we might meet you and get to know you a little better. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, as Paul is drawing this letter to a close, he says, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in Him, but we shall live with Him by the power of God in you, toward you. Examine yourselves, he says, verse 5, as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now, Paul seemingly just throws that last little bit in there for free in verse 6. He says, we're going to heaven. Uh, We're not disqualified. Now, I don't know about you. I I don't know if you're going to heaven or not. You've got to examine yourself. You've got to test yourself. And I tell you, there have been many times I've felt like that myself. I'm going to heaven. Uh, Not because I deserve to go there, but because my heart is set on going to heaven. My heart is set on being like God, and I've submitted myself to Christ. And everybody else, they've got to examine themselves. You have to test yourself. Are you qualified or disqualified? Not qualified on the basis of your own works, but are you qualified because of your relationship with God? Those are the stakes of self-examination. So what does it mean to examine yourself, to test yourself from a spiritual perspective to see if that's the case? Well, there are three implied questions in this text. Um, As we examine ourselves, we should be asking ourselves, yourself, these things. For what are we testing? What are we determining? Well, ultimately, the question that we need to answer is, is Jesus Christ in you? Is Jesus Christ in me, in myself? Uh, Stephanie and I, we love to entertain, we love to show hospitality, and we do so pretty often. Um, Sometimes we have overnight guests when we entertain. What do you do? What do you do to prepare for an overnight guest? Uh, My parents are coming this week, and so we did some preparation yesterday for them. We uh, cleaned the bathrooms, we washed uh, the sheets, uh, we washed a bunch of clothes, but, you know, uh, they were on the couch and we folded them. But it wouldn't have been the end of the world if all of those didn't get put away. They did, but it wouldn't have been the end of the world if my parents came and there were some folded clothes on the couch. That wouldn't have been a big deal. And and so this idea of who it is that you're receiving, who it is that you're hosting, uh, is going to be reflected in your preparation. Your preparation is a reflection of the guest that is coming. Now, my parents are coming. But if Stephanie's parents were coming, our preparations would be very much the same. It it wouldn't be a big deal if the, the clothes weren't put away that were folded on the couch. But 
before Stephanie's parents come, every single time, you know what I do? I clean out the garage and I clean my workbench. Because Steve Reeves is coming. Um, and I don't want to be the son-in-law with the dirty workbench and dirty garage because I know if I am, you know what Steve's going to do? He's going to get the blower and first thing, he's going to be in there, all the leaves are out of the garage. Your preparation is a reflection of your guest. Well, what if Jesus was coming to stay? You knew that Jesus was coming to stay with you. How would you prepare your house? With what kind of eyes would you examine things? Well, you would want to make things nice, right? But you would also know that Jesus is uh, less judgmental of unimportant things than some other people might be. And at the same time, maybe he would be more judgmental of some important things than other house guests would be. Um, I was preparing for this lesson, and I was working from home earlier this week. There was some golf tournament on, maybe, or something. Um, And so I was sitting at the kitchen table, and on each side of the, the TV, we have these big bookshelves. And so I'm thinking about this concept, preparing the house for Jesus to come. I'm looking at my bookshelf, and I say, I'd be okay with Jesus seeing all of the books that are up there on the bookshelf. And and that's silly, isn't it? Because Jesus knows every word that I've ever read in my entire life. He knows the contents of every book. Um, And I have nothing to be ashamed of on those shelves because I've put away all the books that I'm ashamed of. No. Your kids have come and you've been, they've been in my house and they've seen those books. They're there in the living room. I'm, I have nothing to be ashamed of, but it did make me stop and think. What would I want Jesus to see if he were to come into my house? Again, your preparation is a reflection of your guest. Well, Jesus is coming. And, and he is coming to dwell with you. Not in your home, but in your house, in your body. He's coming to dwell in you. And His character and spirit must become your own. Is Jesus Christ in you? Turn to 1 John chapter 4, marking your spot maybe in 2 Corinthians 13. 1 John chapter 4 uses this same kind of language. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15. 1 John 4 and verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, that's not just some formula where I confess that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God and now, boom, I don't have to do anything else. That's that's not the point. He's addressing some issues that they were having with the Gnostics who were denying Jesus as the Son of God. But also implied in that is if I confess that Jesus is the Son of God, I'm going to live my life in that way, and God will abide with me. Verse 16, And we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. God is love, and so if I have that character of love in me, that's like God is in me, and I am in God because God is love. Um, And he expresses this maybe in a more understandable way, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. To abide is to live. 
An abode is a place to live. Is God that close? Is He in us? Are we His abode? God abides in us when we think and act like Him. Again, notice that last phrase in verse 17. Because as He is, so are we in this world. God has moved in. He is Lord of my house, Lord of my body as a Christian. It is a relationship and imitation of Him in my spirit. And I would submit it is the same with Christ. It is the same with the Holy Spirit. All three are supposed to be in me, living in me. And to make that some sort of physical or literal indwelling, um, that doesn't test my fellowship with someone if they believe that, but I do think it misses the point. The point of God living in me is not that you could open up my chest and somehow God or Christ or the Holy Spirit is in there somewhere. Instead, the idea is that you can claim that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you until you're blue in the face. But if your character doesn't match His character, if His character doesn't dwell in you to the point that you live and think and speak and act like Him, that you react according to His will... It profits you nothing. What a beautiful and powerful phrase um, uh, John uses to describe this. Because as He is, so are we in this world. I wish that were totally true of me. I'm working on it. But if we can say that, if we can examine ourselves and say truly of ourselves... As God is, as Christ is, as the Holy Spirit is, so am I in this world. That's the way I live my life. Then we can say that God abides in us. And a big part of that is that we can't see being a child of God, being a Christian is just a part of our life. It must be our life. Where we... Where we have fallen to this mentality that, you know, I have my family obligations and I have school and extracurriculars maybe. I have my friends, I have my hobbies, I have my work obligations. Oh, yeah, and and God is in there somewhere too. He's just another one of these things in my life. He He has to live in us. He has to be our life. And Jesus is moving in, not as a house guest, but as a permanent resident. And we can't just throw things in the closet. We can't just stuff things in a drawer somewhere or hide it under a bed and think Jesus isn't going to know what's in us. We truly have to clean out our house in preparation for the guest who is coming. And He is intended to be a permanent resident with us. So is Jesus Christ in you? The second question that is, well, really stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, do you not know yourself, Paul asks. Well, surely we know ourselves, and yet so often the answer to that question is no. We don't really know ourselves because we're not examining ourselves and testing ourselves in the right way. Um, In the NLT translation, Psalm 119 and verse 29 says, Keep me from lying to myself. The psalmist asks this of God because this is a problem. And and maybe not even with bad motives, but I'm lying to myself about where I am in my relationship with God, about who I am in my day-to-day life. And that's natural to a certain degree. Even Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, For I know nothing against myself, 
Yet I am not justified by this, just because I don't know anything against myself. But he who judges me is the Lord. Uh, one of those phrases that people toss out there, only God can judge me. Well, that's true in a certain sense. In a certain sense it isn't. But let's just run with that for a second. If you say only God can judge me, you know what that implies? That God can judge you. You admit that He will and can judge you. Well, allow Him to judge you. And you might be surprised at what He says. He does judge you. So listen to His judgment. And how does God judge us in this way? Well, we remember that Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms, and it is all about the Word of the Lord, the statutes of God, the law of the Lord. And the psalmist doesn't just struggle with the difficulty of self-examination in Psalm 119. He also struggles in, in Psalm 19 as well. In Psalm 19 and verse 12, he says, But who can discern their own errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Now, if we just take that verse by itself, which I'm doing on the screen, we might think that it's hopeless to examine ourselves, to judge ourselves correctly. But what is the context here? In verses 7 through 11 of Psalm 19, he tells us all about the Word of the Lord, what it can do for us, how wonderful it is, and how that Word of the Lord enlightens our eyes and gives us understanding and discernment to know ourselves correctly. Which brings us to our next question. Is Jesus Christ in you? Do you not know yourself? Well, how can you know yourself correctly? He asks the question or implies the question, are you in the faith? Back there in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Read with me again. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? This is the examination. Am I in the faith? It's not a matter if I have faith. Do I believe in God? Am I in the faith? Am I following after the gospel message, that objective faith that is revealed in the Word of God? The Word of God has the power to show us as we truly are, to ourselves and to God Himself. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, if you would. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, 4 and verse 11. The Hebrew writer says, Hebrews 4 and 11, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. We're not disqualified. We're going to heaven. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Unless indeed you are disqualified. 4, verse 12, The Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How are we diligent to know that we're not disqualified? How do we examine ourselves? Well, we can get down to the nitty-gritty, soul and spirit, bones and marrow, but most importantly, the thoughts and intents of the heart through the Word of God. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, 
that all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The Word of God is the key to this test. It is the standard for our measurement of self. It is the constant in the experiment that we're conducting every day to determine whether we're walking as God would have us to walk. This is how God judges us in a non-final sense and to a certain degree in the final sense. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16 says we're going to be judged according to the gospel. But it is not just God examining us in this way. This is how He allows us to examine and judge ourselves correctly and accurately. That's seen clearly in James chapter 2, if you want to turn over there. Just one book over to your right. From Hebrews, go to James. James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 21, beginning. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That word is able to save our souls in bringing us to a knowledge of Christ so that we know what we must do in order to put Christ on in baptism, to rise to walk in newness of life. But it can also save our souls as we continue to live as Christ has called us to live so that we know how to respond in our lives. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Well, that's why we're examining ourselves, right? So that we're not deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, that's the perception, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So he tells us that our perception can be one thing, I'm religious. But the reality is something else. I, I don't bridle my tongue. I've not examined myself according to the Word of God, to know rightly who it is that I ought to be. Or, I have, but I've turned away from that and forgotten it. Like someone who looked in a mirror and then forgets what kind of man he is. Anybody else have allergies this time of year? Uh, lots of hands. Uh, allergies are really bad right now. I started my uh, Zyrtec rotation a little late this year, so I got a little scratch in my throat and so forth. Stephanie and I and the girls were going over to somebody's house Friday night, um, and because of all these allergies, it's getting personal now, getting personal. Because of all of these allergies, you know, sometimes I'm blowing my nose a lot and I've got stuff in my nose, right? And this is marriage, young people. Before we walk into the house, I, I do my nose like this, say, I have anything to Stephanie, right? I have anything? Well, what do you do if you don't have somebody to ask that? You've got to go to a mirror, right? You've got to go to a mirror and look for yourself. And yet all of us have had that experience of we're talking to a bunch of people, maybe after services, we're talking to a bunch of people, and then we go use the bathroom and we look in the mirror and we say, I've got stuff in my nose and nobody told me, right? The Word of God is that mirror. 
that shows us the way we really are. We've got to look in the mirror. And we've got to be willing to see what it shows us. How does that work with the Word of God? You've probably heard that a hundred times. I've said it 50, so I know you've heard it at least that many. How does that work? Well, I read my Bible and there are certain qualities that I'm supposed to have, right? Um, there are lots of lists that we could use for this. Um, let's look at a couple. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, maybe. Um, fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That's what I'm supposed to have as a Christian. Do I have those qualities? Uh, another great list, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. I think this is Harold's favorite list, if I'm not mistaken. 2 Peter chapter five, uh, 1 and verse 5. But for this very reason, what reason? You've escaped the world and its lust, and you have the hope of heaven. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, Self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call an election, sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Are you sure that these things are in you? Now, the great thing about the Bible is it doesn't just say, okay, here are some qualities, you need to have these qualities. It tells us and defines for us what these qualities are as we continue to read. And so we begin by examining ourselves and saying, do I have these qualities? Do I have these qualities in me? And maybe I look and I see that I'm deficient in self-control or I'm deficient in virtue or whatever the case might be. Now I can go to my Bible and, and it shows me how I can have those qualities. And it doesn't just show me in, in some sort of abstract way. It gets really practical with those things. I, I think a great example is Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Notice how so many of the qualities that we've talked about are found in these verses, but along with a little explanation. Let love, well, we've talked about love, right? Let love be without hypocrisy. If I'm hypocritical and I examine myself, then my love isn't what God's love should be. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. There's one of our qualities. How do we do that? In honor, giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. 
rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge for yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now there are lots of qualities listed in there, but all of those could in some ways be seen as a definition of what it means to love without hypocrisy. Take your life and hold up these characteristics. Do I have them in me and are they abounding? Which one am I lacking? Which ones are there but I need to grow in them? Now turn in the Bible and study that concept so I can grow in it. But it's not just the study of the things and the writing and the definition. It's also a study of someone. Our first question is, is Jesus Christ in you? And if He is, and the way He lived His life is the way you live your life, then that shows that these qualities are in you as well. Does this describe me, this process of examination? Well, let me make one more specific application to the Lord's Supper. Um, We looked in 2 Corinthians 13 a moment ago, and we started by referring to Christ's crucifixion. Paul does in that letter. But now I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, so these are the questions. Is Jesus Christ in you? Do you not know yourself? Are you in the faith? I take the word of God and examine myself. Whether I'm in the faith and Jesus Christ is in me. But now let's think about the Lord's Supper in regard to that idea of self-examination that we've established. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. We are called to examine ourselves to partake of the Lord's Supper. And the emphasis is on self-examination. It's on the individual level. He says, let a man, let a person, me, and only me, I'm supposed to be judging or examining myself, not my brother or my sister and their hearts. I'm supposed to be looking at my own heart. Am I partaking worthily, the old King James says. And of course, to be blunt, the reality is that we aren't worthy to sit at Christ's table. None of us are worthy of that. But we can be worthy in the way we partake, the attitude we partake, And the condition, our condition when we partake, because we have 
confessed our sins and been forgiven of them. We are made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we partake of these things in a worthy manner, with the right attitude, with the right heart, as we remember Christ and what He has done. Self-examination is always powerful, and it's always important. But it is especially so in the context of Jesus' crucifixion. Before you partake of the Lord's Supper, before I partake of the Lord's Supper, we should be asking ourselves, do I love... That's one of our qualities, right? Do I love like that? We don't get around that table anymore. Do I love like that? Do I serve like this? What this represents, His body and His blood and His sacrifice. Do I sacrifice like that? Do I forgive like that? Do I look like Jesus did? He took up His cross to fulfill the will of His Father. Am I taking up my cross daily and following Him? Again, the stakes are high. Verse 30. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Uh, That's a euphemism for death. Many are dead spiritually. For we would judge ourselves For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. If we take the time to judge ourselves, examine ourselves properly, then we won't be judged by God. We won't be asleep, we won't be sick, we won't be dead spiritually, because we are constantly looking at our spiritual condition. We are constantly examining ourselves And God has given us that opportunity every week. And the mirror that we hold up is not just the qualities that are found in the Bible. The mirror that we hold up on a weekly basis is the character of Christ. His dying sacrifice. And yes, it's found within the pages of the Bible. And so we hold up that mirror. And we say to ourselves, does Christ live in me? Do I know myself and see myself accurately? That I have put Christ on and now I'm living as He would have me to live. Um, I want to make application to this evening's um, serving of the Lord's Supper. Um, All of us are here this morning. You're probably going to partake of the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. Uh, But... On Sunday evenings, uh, those who weren't here this morning have that opportunity. Something that I've worked on, struggled with, whatever you want to call it, through my life is, what am I supposed to be doing, right? What am I supposed to be doing during that time? I'm involved in some ways, but I'm not actively drinking the juice or eating the bread during that time. So what should I be doing? What should I be thinking about? Well, here's a suggestion for you um, for this evening. May I suggest that it is a great time to reflect and examine yourself in regard to Jesus and His sacrifice and the lessons that you've heard through that day. The worship that you've offered on that day. How should I apply what I've heard, what I've said, and what has been done? What do I need to do today and tomorrow and the rest of this week 
to make sure that I am walking worthily and not just partaking worthily. There's a song that we sing before the Lord's Supper, When My Love to Christ Grows Weak. Um, And the, the first verse is, When my love to Christ grows weak, I think about Jesus in the garden. When my love for man grows weak, I think about Christ on the cross. When I was in college, um, you know, you get these ideas in your head in college. There were some guys that I was friends with. When they would lead that song, if it was before the Lord's Supper in our worship services, they would never lead the last verse. Because in their minds, they said, it's not about the Lord's Supper. The last verse of that song says, Then to life I turn again. They say, okay, so that's not the Lord's Supper, that's something else. But may I suggest that that last verse in many ways is the point. I partake of the Lord's Supper and then to life I turn again. Learning all the worth of pain. Learning all the might that lies in a full self-sacrifice. That verse is exactly what we need. I need to turn to life again after being reminded of Christ and say, am I giving my life in a full self-sacrifice to Christ and to others? Okay, we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. But before we partake this morning, here's what I'm going to do. I'm doing okay on time. I'm going to give you three minutes. I'm going to go sit down on the front row. I'm going to give you three minutes to think about yourself, to examine yourself. Pray to God in your mind and heart for forgiveness and peace and hope, if that's what you need to do. Maybe read one of the lists that we talked about in Galatians 5 or Romans 12 or 2 Peter. Maybe read an account of Jesus on the cross. That's found in Matthew 27. Mark 15, Luke 23, or John 19. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, or John 19. Am I like Jesus was when He went to the cross and when He was on the cross, when He gave His life? Then, after those three minutes of self-reflection and examination, we're going to stand and sing the invitation song. I'll give you the opportunity to come forward. Uh, If you need to make anything right in a public way, Uh, You've examined yourself. What better time to make it right than just before we partake of the Lord's Supper? And then after that opportunity is given, we'll lead the prayers and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner because we have first examined ourselves. Do you know yourself? Is Christ in you? We'll do that in a second, Jesse. Okay, so I'm going to give you three minutes is a long time when everybody's here being quiet. you got about a minute to get used to that and then two minutes to really look at your life.
had the opportunity to examine yourself, um, if you look at your life and you realize that you're not right with God, either because you've not come to Christ, you've not submitted your life to Him, you've not repented of your sins and put off the old man of sin and gone down into a watery grave to rise to walk in newness of life, or if you're already a Christian and you realize you've not been walking worthy of the calling by which you were called and you need to make that right, um, even if it's not something of a public nature and you just are requesting the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ, we're here for you. Um, and more importantly, Christ is here and He is calling you. Won't you come now? Well, together we stand and while we sing.